Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Welcome to this edition of the Simply Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. I want to increase your financial IQ today with a discussion about college funding. I have some thoughts on the subject. I'm in the midst of a college search again. My son, Dominic, is 17 and a junior in high school, and he would like to play lacrosse in college. So we are at the early stages of uh, looking at colleges. So I wanna share some thoughts with you, like I said already. I wanna start by talking a little bit about uh, the average cost, because I've done some research on this and it'll kind of set the stage for today's presentation or discussion. So to start with, when we look at public universities, schools like the University of Connecticut, the University of Florida, University of North Carolina, and so on, the average in-state tuition and fees is about $10,700. But on top of that, you have other costs, especially room and board. So the average all-in for in-state public tuition is about $27,300. When you look at public institutions where you're going as an out-of-state student, the costs, of course, jump up. The average, instead of $10,700, goes up to some $27,500, and that brings up the total all-in cost, including room and board, to over $44,100. Now, this varies a lot. It varies a lot. As an example, uh, University of Connecticut, um, in-state tuition is about $18,500 compared to the national average of $10,700. So quite a bit more expensive than the national average. On the other end of the spectrum, I mentioned Florida. Florida has a wonderful uh, higher education system and the cost of University of Florida, if you're an in-state student, is some $6,400. So the costs are all over the map for public institutions in-state as well as out-of-state. When you look at private schools, the costs are higher and you add even more complexity into the mix. So your average four-year private school tuition is over $38,000. 
that's a jaw-dropping number. The all-in number is even more jarring. It's $55,800. But again, this is all over the map. I've seen at some schools that uh, I've looked at with Dominic uh, with some degree of uh, interest. I've seen as high as all-in at over $77,000. Wow. And I've seen some, uh, this is private now, as little as 41000 Really, really a wide spectrum. So when we get to my thoughts, let me say that I kind of feel like I might not be as organized for uh, sharing my thoughts as usual. I'm going to end up probably jumping around a bit. Hopefully this comes across well. Uh, the first thing I wanted to share with you is that when you are in the early stages, when your kids are younger, I would suggest that you make a savings plan and you try and stick to it. That's the first thought that I have. Related to that is to use tax-advantaged accounts to build a college fund. There are a number of options out there, the most popular being the 529 plan. There are also things called ESAs and prepaid accounts, but the 529 plan is the heavyweight in the space. So when your kids are early and time is on your side, make a savings plan, stick to it, and probably it makes sense in most instances to use a tax advantaged account like a 529 plan. But moving along, as you get closer to college and you're looking at schools and thinking about where your son or daughter is going to go, or even your grandchild is gonna go, um, you wanna think about grants and scholarships. First, I wanna talk about ones that are not through the institution itself, but external might be local organizations, might be national, could be veterans. Uh, there's a whole variety of them. And when you uh, do searches on the internet, there are lots and lots of sites that are aggregators that help you find, uh, uh, um, find all kinds of scholarships that are available in the marketplace. So you should aggressively apply for scholarships and grants, ones that are not through the institution, but through other organizations. Now, some of those might be smaller, like $500, $250, $1,000, but it does all add up. Sometimes you need a financial need to get these scholarships. Other ones are based more on what you plan on studying or uh, what town you live in or what school you're going to go to. There's all different shapes and sizes, but that definitely deserves your attention. Moving along, I want to talk a little bit about price. I already went through the tuitions with you all and have emphasized how it's all over the map. In my opinion, price should be a factor in determining what school you send your child to. It's not the only factor, um, but it is a key consideration. I don't believe it is necessarily a sign of love to say, we're going to send our child wherever they want to go, regardless of the cost. I don't think that's a sign of love. I don't think that's a sign of love, especially when it puts a huge burden on the parents, the family, and maybe even the child itself because of loans, which we're going to talk some about. So I think price should be a factor. So I can tell you in this early stage search with my son, we're aware of the prices, or at least I'm aware of the prices of these different schools, but I'm not screening on anything other than schools we're interested in academically, as well as lacrosse-wise, as well as geographically. I'm not too worried about price at the early stage, but I've communicated to Dominic that price is a consideration that'll have to be dealt with down the line as we get closer. 
But again, I don't believe it is a sign of a good parent where you just say, I'm willing to pay anything, anywhere. This is a business decision and it needs to be approached as one. It's a big decision. Most people, when they, let's say, pay completely for their son and daughter to go to school, or even if there are other loans involved, again, we're going to talk about loans, it might be the second biggest purchase you ever make behind a home. So it deserves a lot of attention. So let's talk about loans. I've already referenced it a couple of times. Be wary of loans. I am not so dogmatic to say that you should never borrow money for college, but I do believe that you ought to view loans skeptically. Uh, I will say that in my experience, schools, colleges, they do have a sleazy element of, to them. And one example of this is that they will use the word financial or use the term financial aid and put loans in the financial aid. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to assume you're similar to me. If I say that, hey, my child got some good financial aid at the school they're going to go to, you're probably not thinking loan, right? Because the loan needs to get repaid. Um, that is a consideration in how you pay for school, but that's not aid in the same way that a scholarship is, a grant is, the school reducing the tuition because they want you to attend. Uh, loan seems to be a separate category, but they will lump it in. And I find that personally to be a little sleazy. I think you'll probably agree with me, but maybe not. Uh, another reason why you want to be wary of loans is not just how they position it at the college level, lumping it in with financial aid, but also because you do not want to burden your kids. Um, some debt might be okay, in my opinion. Um, but let's talk a little bit about some of the averages out there because some of what you see in the press that kind of dominates the storyline is a little misleading i think so it's uh this information comes from educationdata.org which says that the average student loan debt is thirty four thousand dollars and that's not a good number that's not a good number but that's not so scary compared to the stories you hear about students having $100,000, $300,000 of debt, and sometimes more, I will tell you that usually those stories usually are when the student is pursuing advanced degrees, MBAs, doctorate programs, PhDs, things like that. So if they borrow through private school for their undergrad and then go on to advanced degree programs, medical schools, another good version of this, you know, that really, really could run up the loan tab. When you have students going to four-year schools, do you have some instances of that? Yes, but it really, really is a minority. So $34,000, not a great number, but I don't find that to be too, too scary. Um, and then when you break it down by public and private school, like I did earlier, the average private school loan is $58,500. It's a little more uncomfortable than $34,000, don't you think? And then for uh, public, the average is about $32,000, uh, which is pretty similar to the national average. And the reason is that there's a lot more borrowing going on for private schools. 83% of uh, private school students uh, have loans, 83%, but it's only 65% in the public university system. Uh, so I think that kind of makes sense. There are a lot of students for various reasons, including cost, 
end up going to an in-state school where the costs on balance are less. So I think having some student debt is not the end of the world. Uh, you want to be conscious of not burdening your child so that when they get into the workforce, when they graduate, they look back and regret the decision they made because financially they are behind the eight ball right as they start their first job on day one. I think that's bad. Now, if you have $30,000, hey, you may have to work to pay that off. You may have to build it in your budget. You may have to slow down spending in the early years, slow down investing in the early years in order to pay off that debt. But it can be done, and I don't think ruins your ability to have financial security and build wealth over time. Of course, of course, my preference is to have the child be able to go to the school they want, study what they want, have a wonderful experience, and be able to do it without any debt. That is the ideal situation. A lot of families, including mine, have been able to accomplish that, but that's not the only route to success. I'm gonna get really nervous and advise against running up big, big student loans though, because I believe that is, in most instances, an unfair burden to the student. And I'm talking about four-year degrees, mostly. Somebody, adult now, wants to go and go to medical school and get their PhD, they're going to be more informed and more responsible at 21 years plus to decide to take on that debt. It's less of a parenting decision, which is mostly what I'm talking about today. Uh, if they want to do that, I would advise them against that in a lot of instances, but at least they're adults. When you're looking at undergrad, you know, they're 17, 18 year olds, uh, 18 year olds. And, you know, your kids might be very smart. I know mine are, but they're not worldly. There's still a lot of things they need to learn. And this is a teachable moment. And I'll talk about that opportunity in a little bit. So hopefully I made myself clear on the subject of loans. Another thing to consider is when you identify schools that you're interested in, they often have financial aid and or merit aid. I want to focus on merit aid. I think most people know how financial aid works. Depending on your income, your assets, your family configuration, you might be eligible for financial aid either from the federal government or the institution itself. And again, I'm talking about merit aid and financial aid. I am excluding loans, of course, because I think that's sleazy. I want to be crystal clear on that point. So in terms of merit aid, when you apply to a school and they find you to be or your son or daughter to be the type of student that they want to attend the college or the university, they will often discount their price. So you want to be aware that when you look at the prices of a school, it might have an all-in cost of I'm making it up $60,000. But what you want to consider is that you may not pay that $60,000 because you may get merit aid, you might get financial aid, you might get scholarships. So you really want to be aware of the gross cost, right? Or the off the shelf cost versus what the net cost is. One of the things I learned recently is a lot of these schools, I imagine most, um, have calculators where you could go on and in five or 10 minutes, give them some basic information about salary, assets, your students' grades, and they'll give you an estimate of how much it would cost that child to attend the school because they're going to have in their internal analytics, 
where they offer merit aid, where they offer financial aid and give you a pretty good estimate. And I will tell you, there are some schools out there that are known for being very generous in merit aid. So they might have high gross prices that might scare you off, but some of them are very, very aggressive in marking down their price when they find students that they want to accept into their institutions. And on the other side, there are some schools that have reputations, I think well-deserved, where they're much more stingy with merit aid and you want to be aware of that. The key takeaway though is be aware of what the net cost might be for you when you're screening for schools and don't focus too, too much on the gross cost. You might miss out on a school that might be a good fit once you look at what the net costs are. I want to talk about this concept next, which is a dog in the fight. Uh, when I was younger and my children were much younger, I talked about the idea that I would want my kids to have a dog in the fight. I wouldn't want my son or daughter to go to school and have mom and dad pay for it, which is a blessing, but have them kind of take advantage of it and maybe be a little spoiled and not really apply themselves in school. And I think that's a reasonable expectation for a parent not wanting them to squander an opportunity that's being given to them uh, because school is a wonderful experience. College is a wonderful experience if it's done right. So I do think having a dog in the fight is uh, a good thing. There are a lot of ways this could work out and not every single situation calls for it. And there are a lot of ways to, what's the adage, skin the cat. Uh, but I'll give you a few. A lot of institutions will have work study where you could work on campus, earn a few dollars while still being on the campus footprint. That's an option. Kids can work through school. Uh, now you may want your son or daughter to go and not work um, at all and just focus on their grades. That's okay. There's a lot of research out there that shows though that students that do work often get better grades and often have better marketable skills when they graduate college. Uh, working, it seems to me, common sense wise, helps the kids learn time management as well as building some skills. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to work. Again, it's a personal decision. I can tell you my daughter worked through school, mostly because she wanted to, and we encouraged it. Uh, we didn't want her to work 70 hours a week. We wanted to concentrate on her studies and also take advantage of all the college experience had to offer. Uh, but she did work and it gave her some spending money and it gave her some good skills that I think made her marketable when she was looking for her post-college job. Additionally, students can work over summer and during their breaks. Maybe some of that goes to contribute to tuition itself or maybe to books or maybe just so they have some pocket money that they could spend during the semester. Um, these are all, I think, good options. Uh, as I said, this is good training. Uh, when you look at what employers are looking for, um, they would prefer in most instances to have a student who is coming to work for their first career job where it's not their first job ever. And that could be working in restaurants. It could be working at a golf course. It could be doing any number of things, but almost anything helps. Internships are vitally important. That makes you very, very marketable. So you want to encourage your kids to have one or more internships. Uh, employers, by and large, will look skeptically at candidates 
who don't have any work experience, including lack of interns. Now these schools will help you on this uh, with the internship so you're not completely alone. So I think having a dog in the fight where you work with your kids, where they could get some experience, get some training, uh, learn some time management skills, have some different experiences and have some money to contribute to the dog in the fight, I think is generally a good idea. Now, listen, if you want to send your son or daughter to school and have them not work and you're just going to cover everything and they're not going to do an internship, I mean, we could debate that. Um, I'm not going to be mad at that. That's a that's a family decision. But these are my thoughts about having a little bit of a dog in the fight. When it comes to paying the bill, you know, this the um, child is in school or is about to go to school and you're looking down at your first bill and the upcoming bills. What I will tell you is for most people, most of the time, the way these tuition payments are paid tend to end up being a patchwork. Um, you might get some external scholarships. I talked about that earlier. You might get some merit aid from the school. You might get work study. Uh, there's a whole variety of different ways that you could kind of put together uh, a couple of different ways, sources that would allow you to pay for school. Um, you could cash flow it, right? You just take some of the income that you are earning or the household is bringing in and deploy that to pay the tuition. The kids might be contributing, as we talked about already. You might have student loans, which we talked about already. You as the parent or grandparent may decide to take on loans that you're responsible for repaying. One common way this is done is through a home equity line of credit, basically borrowing against the equity in your home. That's pretty common. Uh, I don't think any one of these is necessarily always the number one solution. It's great if you have so much money in your college fund and your 529 plan that you could just easily pay the tuition uh, for what probably will be eight tuition payments. Uh, but for most families, for most families, they're not going to have quite that much money in their 529 plan. A lot of times there is much, much less, but you are able to put together a plan. It's really rare in America today, um, given all of the resources and all of the options for a student not to be able to attend college. Now, they might have to go to a college that's less expensive because of these considerations, but it's very rare for a student not to be able to go to college because of money. So just some final thoughts. I touched on this, I referenced it earlier. This is a great teachable moment with your kids about money, about decision-making, about decision-making when there's a number of factors that are, uh, many of them are very important. So it's not easy necessarily to prioritize, uh, but it's a teachable moment. So I would encourage you to be open with your children at appropriate ages, being even more open as you get closer to uh, picking a school is to be open with your thoughts on what should happen, about what resources you have financially, on what your thoughts are on their contribution, if any. Really be open with them. Have it be a collaborative process. I think that'll help the family make a better decision and also is a teachable moment for these young individuals so they can be part of making what hopefully will be a very good decision. I'll also say, now I'm a financial geek, so this comes naturally to me, right? This money kind of discussion and thinking about it and spreadsheeting and all of that stuff. But I would really encourage you to dig into the financial aspects of this. 
don't shy away. It's not too big for you. It's important, so tackle it. If you need some help, get some help. I'm a financial planner, we could help. You have perhaps accountants, other family members, friends, coworkers, the schools themselves have a lot of resources, but don't shy away from it, dig into it, tackle it. And as I said earlier, um, include your son and daughter in the process as well. I think being open makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think this will benefit you, your family, and your child if you kind of keep in mind some of these thoughts I've shared with you, especially being open and tackling the project with the attention it really does deserve. It's a big decision for everyone. So those are my thoughts. I knew I would uh, jump around a little bit. Hopefully it made sense as I presented it to you. I appreciate listening today. I'll be back with you on the next episode of the Simply Financial Podcast very soon. In the meanwhile, if you're listening to this, check us out at our website, Elliott Wealth Management. This is the financial advisory, financial planning firm that I founded. And you could go to the website, find out more information about me, the team. You could even sign up for a complimentary consultation. Thanks for listening today. Again, I'll be back with you soon. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of SagePoint Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.